This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. When you shop at a Walmart Vision Center, you get it. You know that you'll spend a little less on stylish glasses for the whole family. Welcome to the Vision Center. Let me know if you need help finding the perfect frame. Hey, Mom, you were right. These glasses are cool. Hon, they take our insurance. That means Papa's getting a new pair, too. Whoa, glasses start at just $39. Next stop, groceries. So you can get a little more of what you need. Find a Vision Center near you. Save money, live better. Walmart. You're listening to the West MY podcast with Dave and X. Oi, oi. Good evening and welcome to the West Ham Way podcast with myself Dave Walker and serial YTK blogger XWHU employee. After impressing Academy legend Tony Carr, Jack Collison went on to pretty much see it all at West Ham. From relegation to playoff euphoria, promotion, pitch invasions, injuries, controversial suspensions, memorable performances, managerial changes and iconic teammates. Tonight, Jack joins myself and X to talk about the highs and lows of his career before answering questions from our collective followers on social media. That's all coming up on tonight's show. This podcast is proudly in association with Pitch Sport Football, the app that allows you to interact with other West Ham fans, pick your starting eleven, and participate in fan time videos. This app is absolutely free, so like I've done, like X has done, and like thousands of other West Ham fans have done, get this downloaded if you haven't already. That's Pitch Sport Football. Using Skype, we can now connect Essex to Atlanta in the US to speak to Jack Collison. How are you, JC? I'm very well, thank you. Good stuff. Hey, bearing up in these crazy times. Yeah, it's been it's been nice to to do some bits around the house that have been waiting, but uh, I'm itching to get back on the pitch now. It's only so much you can put up with your misses and your little one, isn't it? I think I'm, I'm <laughs> desperate desperate to get back out there and do what I enjoy. <laughs> That's very true. Very true. Uh, mate, we've got a lot of questions for you tonight, so let's get cracking and let's start from the beginning, if that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, so no problem. After Cambridge disbanded their academy side, you joined West Ham's. Um, at the time, was there any other clubs interested in you? Talk to us about how that all came about and how you joined the club. Yeah, it was a bit of a, it's a, bit of a strange time for me, really, because I was, I mean, I was at Peterborough from nine until sort of 13 and they closed the youth system down there and then um, went to Cambridge uh, with a lot of my ex-teammates from Peterborough. 
really excited about going on full time and then they closed the youth system down there at 16 um <laughs> so yeah I felt I was doomed before I'd even started but um yeah in terms of opportunities I mean whilst I was at Cambridge I, I was doing obviously quite well and I'd been up to Man United and up to Tottenham um and also my old coach had just left to go to West Brom um and was keen to take me on there but I mean as soon as I knew West Ham were in the hunt um obviously Tony Carter the legend played a big part getting the opportunity to to go and obviously play under Tony and the history of bringing through the likes of my, my heroes the likes of Lampard Joe Cole Rio Carrick all these boys I mean there was never really a second thought about where I wanted to go so, so you made your debut for the club on the 1st of January 2008. After all that, you came on for Freddie Lundberg at Arsenal, um, him against his old club. Um, what, a, what a start to the year it was for you, because it was, it was New Year's Day, wasn't that? So um, how, did, how did you feel about that debut? Were you nervous? Was, what, what, how did you find out about it? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a good, good story, actually. I mean, myself and James Tompkins had sort of come through the youth system, um, played in the reserves a lot and we were traveling a lot with the first team but never on the bench we were always sort of the spare men and pulling the kit about making the tees um but that morning curbs caught us in the lift at the hotel and uh just said i hope you're ready today fellas because you're both on the bench and um it was only me tonks and curbs in the lift and we sort of had that awkward wait with a first team manager and we kind of let it go up and thankfully got off first and me and Tonks just looked at each other and we started celebrating. We were jumping about the lift like madmen. It was brilliant. Um, and I, I mean, for me, I, I mean, I was on the bench and I obviously thought, oh, look, I'm on the bench just to be a name. But I knew Freddie had been struggling through the week. He was touch and go whether he'd, been, whether he'd be able to start. Um, and obviously Freddie wanted to start to, to obviously go back to Arsenal and get his applause and all of that where he was such a legend. And then before I knew it, Kerbs was giving me the curly finger Come on, you're going on. Um, thought that was an initiation then, Jake. Yeah, I oh, know. Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was great, Arby. Me, me and Tonks were getting so much abuse on the sideline. Uh, who I, uh, you should be working in Tony and Guy because we had the, the boy band haircuts unlock and obviously no one knew who we were. <laughs> now I got, got the call to go on and I just never forget Curbs' last words. Just try and get close to Fabregas, will you? little tap on the head and on I go. And it was just... <laughs> I couldn't believe how quick it was. I mean, Flamini was outstanding that day. And I, I said, I've said this quite a few times, but the second half, I run seven and a half kilometres. I think it was some record that year. And I must have touched the ball about four or five times. But it was just <laughs> it was just incredible to be out there. And I remember Anton Ferdinand really talking me through the game and sort of keeping me going. But, I mean, great start to the year. And then once you get that taste, you, you obviously want more. And... For me, it was quite frustrating because there was a bit of a wait after that to sort of get back in and get another chance and then another wait again to get a real run of games. Yeah, I can imagine, actually, because you get that taste and you just, you just want it more and more, don't you? I can imagine the excitement and the adrenaline levels were through the roof at that stage, especially at that age. Yeah, it was, it was mental. And obviously, the Emirates, a wonderful stadium. Arsenal had a fantastic team at the time. And you just think about all that work, I mean, getting closed down at Peterborough, closed down at Cambridge, fighting your way through at West Ham and then finally to, to say you played in the Premier League and all that sort of elation and joy and then all of a sudden it's, it's sort of taken away again. You're like, right, I'm back to the drawing board. I've got to get my head down and work hard and sort of take <laughs> take one of these guys out of the team and try and get my way in there. 
Yeah. Tell us about the first time you actually started for West Ham. How did that come around? Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember the game. I remember it well. Um, Bolton away. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Classic. Well, it must be one of our bogey grounds, surely. Um, yeah, it was, it was great. I mean, thankfully, that I had a little bit more preparation. I, I mean, in the team shape throughout the week, I was sort of in and out of the starting eleven. So you kind of get an idea. And I remember sort of day before being told that I was going to be playing and I'm thinking, come on, surely we can go and do a job at Bolton and it might be a real opportunity for me to get get in the team. And similar again, I really struggled to get into the game. I was running about, I was working really hard and trying to keep it as simple as possible. But as a team, we didn't play too great. And I remember as soon as we went 1-0 down, looking over to the bench and there was a little bit of movement on the bench and I just thought, oh, I'm coming off here. <laughs> I remember getting dragged and I was quite quite disappointed really. No, just not being able to really make an impact and sort of show everyone what, what I was about. Um, but obviously great to get that start and, and obviously uh, an interesting place to go and play. They, they had quite a good team at that time. I think Campo was playing centre mid so that was a good experience in itself playing against the real senior pro and as I said, once again, it's, it's that taste, it's that little little taste and it just fires you up. And I remember coming away thinking, right, oh, I've got so much work to do here. I need to get my head down. I need to, to get better and I need to get better quick because my time's sort of running out. And then, and then like, in the summer, the manager changed, didn't it? So Kerbishy left, Zola came in. Um, <laughs> what, did, what did you think of Zola as, as a man and as a manager? Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I as a real youngster, I used to go to Chelsea quite a lot with my dad. Um, so I, I was lucky enough to actually see Zola play live in the flesh. And he was just mesmerising. I mean, some of the stuff he would do with the ball, his little movements, his flicks, his touches. And I sort of never forget the way he used to play. He's one of them players that you just were sort of drawn to. And I often found myself watching Zola more than I was watching the game. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I had that admiration of it as a youngster, as a sort of seven, eight, nine-year-old. And then <clears throat> there was whispers of him coming in and everyone thought, no, no. And then when we found out he was coming in, everyone was just so excited to get down to work. And I think one of the big things is you're always worried these these big players or big sort of personalities, celebrities, so-called, whether they're going to be disappointing as a person. And it was just unbelievable that he come in and that he was even more impressive as a person and as a man than he was as a footballer. Mm-hmm. Um, so straight away he had buy-in um, I mean the, f- the first session he, he joined in because we were a player short and he scored the most ridiculous goal I mean <laughs> two touch the ball's fired into him I think he's I think he nutmegged James Collins I'm sure it was and then he kicked <laughs> Rob Green from about 20 yards and we just stood there clapping it was, <laughs> it, it was just incredible and he, he he generally looked quite shocked himself he had to apologise <laughs> and I think after that after that, he didn't really join in too much. Well, was um, it true that some of the players asked him to actually stop playing because it was affecting morale? That he was well, like, yeah. it, it was a, it was a bit of both. I mean, because he <laughs> he was he was so good and he was so fit. And I think the biggest thing for me as as a young player, sort of being on the fringes, you can quite often be forgot about. Obviously, a manager really focused on the weekend, focused on their starting eleven maybe a couple of the subs who they might impact it. But sometimes them fringe players and the young players get forgotten about. But 
Zola would always take time after the session. He knew I was keen to learn and trying to soak up everything. And we'd spend 20, 30 minutes after most sessions doing a bit of technical work, working on my passing, my touches. And just having a manager who took that little bit of time and a little bit of care to actually just talk to me and work on parts of my game that needed improving was, was massive. And I think you could see the way that when he sort of blooded us youngsters into the team, the way we sort of tried to work for him and tried to run for him was a part of him sort of taking that extra care off the pitch. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at Nobes, you'd spend half hour doing free kicks with Nobes after training. Not that, not that he got any better. Yeah, I know, tell me about it. But it was, it was great. And I think that first season especially, some of the football we played, I mean, playing in that diamond with Barami, obviously Nobes and Scotty Parker was just so much fun it was we were free we could pass we do you know what I mean there was lots of movement we had some big senior players the likes of Lucas Neal some exciting players like your Diamantes Di McAleys and it was just so much fun um I suppose the biggest disappointment for me was that I obviously picked up that big injury just just as I was sort of getting going and, and really starting to find my feet in the Premier League yeah I can imagine Jay I mean, you talk about the feeling of coming on for the first time, starting for the first time. What was it like scoring for the first time, which I believe came against Everton in a 3-1 Yeah. Yeah, oh, what an experience that was. I um, bet. I mean, you, you really dream about scoring. I spent hours and hours and months and days and years in my back garden practicing that one. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I mean, once again, I mean, Zola, give me the nod. I come on, I think, I can't remember who got injured. It might have been Boya or someone like that got injured. And I come on and I actually felt that I was doing pretty well in the game um, for the first time, obviously. And um, I remember the goal so well. Wonderful long ball and Scotty Parker run on. Beautiful back heel into my path. And I took one touch and looked up and the goal was just opened up. And I thought, come on in. Don't shoot yourself. It knows your chance, and uh, managed to bend it in. And just seeing it, it was like slow motion. The way it sort of floated past the keeper and just nestled in the net, and then it, it just—it was like everything stopped. You can't explain that feeling. Just pure excitement, pure joy, pure relief at scoring, and then obviously the noise comes. And I remember running off like a madman. And it was nice to be on the pitch with Searsy at the time as well, because obviously we'd been in the youth team and that together. And to celebrate with him was just great. And I remember it was it was quite late on in the game. It must have been like 60, 70th minute. And I can just remember looking at the clock thinking, come on, match of the day is going to be class tonight. <laughs> going to be the superstar. And then typical us, we implode and we end up losing the game bloody 3-1. I think Louis Sahar scored a couple. Um <laughs> But it was it was a great feeling, and it's it's hard to put into words or, or to explain it. But all I can say is it, it felt like it went slow motion, and just that that sheer joy is is an impossible feeling to describe. But it was just magical. Well, another another goal you got was in a one nil win against Manchester City. So it was the the winner in that match. Um, and there's something quite unique about that goal. Can you remember what it is? Four. Oh. No, but I remember City. I remember City at the time had started spending their money. I think Rubinho was playing, Bellas, Wayne Bridge. Um, they had quite a good team, and it was actually my nan's birthday that day as well. So to, to sort of score the goal, and it was quite a tidy finish actually. Looking back, I remember. Remember, I think it was given nearly his head on the back of the net, trying to get back in. <laughs> 
But the um, unique thing was, mate, the assist came from a guy called Savio. Savio, yeah. <laughs> Savio Nesarenko. That's it. <laughs> well, you say it was unique. It was as rare as rocking all shit. Oh, well, that's it. I, I mean, know... what was it? What was he actually like? Because oh, obviously after he left West Ham, he went, went on and kidnapped himself and uh, oh, held his family to ransom and all that yeah. sort of stuff. What was He's he like? Savio. That's an incredible story. That's an interesting one. It'd be interesting to get to the bottom of that because... I mean, he's turned up. I think he was our record signing at the time, wasn't he? And they yeah. give him give him the number ten, did they? They did, yeah. So poor kid, bit of pressure on him, and he was bloody useless, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he struggled. And you talk about people trying to. I mean, Zola spent probably twice as long with Savio than he did with me in terms <laughs> of working on his technique, his finishing, and. He was a he was a lovely kid, but he just really struggled in in training and in the game. So I mean that must have been great for him to get the assist. And yeah. as you said, the the story afterwards is probably even more even more unbelievable. I think he still owes owes Coley for one of his bills in Funky Buddha on a Tuesday night. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, yeah, Savio was an interesting one. I suppose watch this space; they could make a film about that. His, his life <laughs> afterwards, couldn't they? <laughs> What's funny as well is that randomly Dave and I were talking about him on a previous podcast. In fact, it was like the worst people to ever play for West Ham. So that's why we were talking about him. And uh, he, um, I looked up his career on Wikipedia. And if you look at the clubs that he's played for and he's still actually playing now, some of those, oh, names, really? some of those names are funny enough in itself. So. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> Savio, that's a blast from the past there. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's playing for the dog and duck these days. Yeah. <laughs> Bless him, um, but no, lovely boy. <laughs> Things were going really well for you, and, and you scored other goals and were being talked about very positively. But then in an away game, <coughs> you dislocated your knee. Um, yeah. Was that the start of the decline for that knee for you, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think I scored the winner against City, and I think the Wigan game was three days later. So it was yeah. a midweeker, so obviously top of the world, scoring winners against City. And as I said, that season just... Really enjoying playing and, and playing well and just playing with freedom. And then obviously going to Wigan and and picking up that injury was just devastating. And um, yeah, that was that was the start of the decline. I mean, the, the real disappointing thing for me, I think I was 25, 30 games in. Um, but after that, I never, ever got anywhere near full fitness or, or full mobility to enable me to sort of reach, I think, what my potential could have been. Um, so, I mean, you can look at it two ways. I, I think the fact that I got over 100 games out the knee was <laughs> it was incredible in itself. And yeah, I think the disappointing thing, there's always going to be that that sickening feeling of, of what if I could have got sort of five, six good years out of it, could have could have had a real good go at it. But, I mean, these things happen. And it's just Wigan was just a, an <laughs> unbelievable ground for me. I mean, I dislocate my knee. Um made my first appearance after 14 months being injured back at Wigan and we got relegated and then I went on loan to Wigan and had an absolute torrid so uh, <laughs> not, not great memories of playing at Wigan <laughs> thankfully it's not a place you'll probably visit much more now that your uh, career is no, over no it's a bit cold and wet up there <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> so obviously during this time you like you said before the Wigan game you were playing really well and you got into the Welsh 
um, international team, um, but you could have obviously played <laughs> England as well. Now, let's just say you had continued to progress really, really well, and you hadn't quite made it into the, the Welsh team. So you're in the, you had played in a few friendlies. Would you have done what Declan Rice did and uh, and switched to England, or you, were you once you'd signed up for Welsh were you, for Wales, were you entirely bought into the to the country? Do you know what? That's a that's a real interesting question, and it's one that's come up often. And obviously, when Deck was was going through what he was going through, I was trying to kind of put myself in his shoes a little bit. Um, I think for me, it was a, a slightly different situation. I mean, I'd been been pulled into this Welsh team, and I mean, our under twenty one team was incredible. We we qualified top of a group that we should never have got out of. Um, with France in, with France had a top team. Romania, like real good teams. And then we played England in a, a double header to get to the Europe Euros, and we ended up losing five four over the two legs. But the, the two games were just top quality. I mean, Noves played in it, but on our team we had like Aaron Ramsey. Obviously, Gareth Bale was already promoted, but Joe Allen. We had, we had some real sort of top talents and a real close knit group. And um, John Toshak obviously saw that, and he promoted probably seven or eight of us at the same time from the 21s to the senior squad. And it was just a real feeling around around that group that we could go on and sort of do something. And I think you saw it in the Euros a few years back when obviously Wales done so well and and got to the semi-finals. That was the bulk of that group was the core group who sort of come through the 21s. So for me, being part of that sort of journey with that group of players and the sort of pride that I got for playing for Wales, I, I think I would have probably stuck it out and stayed with them and, and really tried to progress with that group of players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good for you, mate. Um, at the start of 2009, that season, Jake, you sadly lost your dad, who uh, <laughs> yeah. was travelling to watch you play against Tottenham. And um, you made the decision to play against Millwall just two days later. How did you get through that and how important were the fans during that period? Yeah, I mean, I've spoke about this so often. It was obviously to lose my dad so young was obviously heartbreaking and the fact that he was on his way up to watch us play Spurs and I know how excited he was for that one and then obviously the Millwall game three days later he had spoke really openly about how he was really excited for that one as well and I think for me kind of it didn't really sink in for a long time afterwards and do you know what I mean but once it had happened and I made the decision to play and I hadn't really trained. I don't think I trained at all, but I spoke to the manager and said, look, I really want to play. I want to sort of honour my dad get out there and, and sort of do what what I, what I want to do and what I've, I've always been doing um, and what he would have wanted me to do. So made the decision and I'd obviously been at home with my family for the days before and met up with the team uh, on the bus. And I just remember walking onto the bus and I just wanted to cry. It was just everyone's sort of looking at you no one really knowing what to say everyone's sort of saying I don't know whether to say sorry or come on or do you know what I mean everyone's just sort of giving you that look so I remember I wanted to burst into tears but I sort of got through that and and got out and got the warm-up done and similar again when as we're walking out to play it was just really emotional and I just remember taking time to sort of look around and um, it was quite common news at the time and so the game got going and right throughout that game, the, the fans were just incredible. And obviously the game, I remember going one nil down and thinking, oh shit, we can... <laughs> I can't play three days later and it go like this. And then I, I hit the post early in the second half and 
thankfully for Junior Stanislas stepped up, scored the equaliser, and then um, obviously we got the penalty in extra time. And I'm not one of many regrets, but Junior offered me the chance to take the pen, and I shit myself. <laughs> so I, that's one of my regrets, not sort of stepping up to take it. No. But I knew he would score, and then to top it off, I remember Zab scoring the third, and obviously Zab's someone who I'd shared digs with, and sort of grown really close to over the years I'd lived with him for the past sort of three four years and I just remember him saying sort of like that's for you and it was just a real sort of touching emotional moment and obviously after the game we had all the trouble with the fans beforehand and and people coming on the pitch and and things like that and for me I just wanted to sort of go around and thank the fans because just their support everywhere you looked people willing me to do well sort of cheering you on do you know what I mean they, they carried me through that night and it's quite a special thing to do a young lad out there just been through that and you look around there's 30,000 people sort of willing you to do well and, and wanting you to do well and kind of get through it and obviously the following days a lot of the bad press in the papers about the fans and things like that and I just thought do you know what it's it's such a shame that it had to be like that because it really the, the headlines could have been about a, a club uh, do you know what I mean the supporters the staff the players all coming together to sort of help one of their own through the most difficult time in his life and obviously afterwards I, I spoke quite openly what it meant to me and I think that was a, the sort of real start of a, a special bond between me and the West Ham fans mm. your dad would have been very proud Jack yeah no he would have been there causing trouble he probably would have been on the pitch now <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's as you said, I mean, it's a very, very special moment between you and the fans. I think it's a memory that will sort of live, certainly with this generation of fans, that, that like you said, that coming together as like a West Ham family. And like I've seen on Twitter, you often use that phrase. And I guess you can speak very, um, like, with knowledge of what it feels like to be part of that West Ham family. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I... I've been through through so much. Obviously, a, a youngster coming into the team, the, the fans want you to do well. Scoring that first goal, it, it just brings you closer. Going through the tough times. And i tell you what was really interesting for me was when I was injured. And I used to spend a lot of time going around the boxes and, and speaking to the fans and sort of watching the games as a fan as well, even whilst I was still a player. You, you really sort of get a feel of, of, of how they are and, and what they expect and what's what's playing on their mind, what's disappointing them, what part of it they're really enjoying. And obviously living around Romford and Essex, you, you're constantly talking to West Ham fans. And I, I suppose that just gave me a sort of real realisation that if you get your head down, if you work hard, as, as long as you're trying your best, they'll sort of stick by you. And they're some of the best, best in the world for doing that. And, that's why sometimes it's disappointing now with, with some of these players coming in and you just think with your ability and your technique and what you've got, if you just get your head down and work really hard, they'll, they'll go for a brick wall for you. They'll support you through the, through the bad results and obviously really enjoy the good times alongside you. Mm, definitely and I mean I think that's why having you as a coach at West Ham was also important because you could kind of share that 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 feeling with those players um when you were at um the club obviously you had the injuries you came back and Avram Grant had replaced Zola as manager um I know you didn't play for him much but um nah. what, what, what was he like as a manager and as a man I tell you what I saw uh some of Julian's quotes the other day Faubourg oh yes say? yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean for me that was such an interesting period yeah I mean you look at that squad it was talented it, 
good players in and Avram had come with this experience of obviously doing well at some big clubs and you just think surely surely it's going to be a good season and we were just useless weren't we I mean we couldn't mm. couldn't stick a string of results together and I think watching on from the sideline it was so hard so hard just just seeing some of the stuff going on on the pitch some of the stuff behind the scenes I mean Avram wasn't the most inspiring manager from what I got um, I mean, I don't think he knew who I was for about six months. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and then obviously towards the end, I mean, my my first start back, I'd have been out for 14 months, so I obviously hadn't been through it. I'd, I'd see the boys daily at the the training ground, but I mean, when you're injured, you're in your own little cocoon. You're you're in the gym, you're in the physio room, you're kind of away from it all. Um, and then my first game back, Wigan away, 14 months out, worked tires tirelessly night and day. Avram gives me the start. We go up. We're leading in the game. Connor Salmon comes on and bloody changes the game. And we end up getting relegated. Avram mm. gets sacked that day. And that was kind of my only real experience of, of being in the actual change room with him. But with that squad and, and them players, there's, there's no way it should have been where we were. Not in a million years. No, no. Um, tell us about the scenario when he was sacked immediately after the game and allegedly not allowed <laughs> on the coach. <laughs> I mean, there was, it was, a, it was a strange, strange, uh, strange atmosphere after the game. Cause obviously Abraham had disappeared off and there were whispers of what's going on. And I mean, we're, we're on the bus and the, the boys are like, look, he's, he's been sacked. We're, we're all waiting for him. But his whispers saying, oh, he's been sacked. And then I remember a car turned up. I think it was like a banged out old Skoda or something like that. Hubcaps, <laughs> hubcaps missing. It looked horrible. And one of the boys has gone, look, that's for Avram. Half messing about. And obviously trying to lift the mood a bit after we'd been relegated. And it actually was for him. They didn't, <laughs> they didn't want him to fly back with a team, I don't think. And I mean, Scotty Parker sums him up as a man. He went out and, and grabbed the manager and just went, look, you come with us. You, you're part of us. You're going to come back with us and sort of got him on and, we got back and then sort of all went our separate ways, I suppose, after that. It was a, but I mean, for me personally, it was such mixed feelings. I mean, you can imagine working so hard to get back and desperate to play your part and finally getting out there and an opportunity to do so. And then all of a sudden you're relegated and you're kind of thinking, oh shit, we've got championship football next year. Mm, yeah, so that, I mean, for, well, the, for the record, I would have made Avram walk home that day. That's just me. <laughs> I think a couple might have. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he, so obviously, as we as we know, he was sacked, um, and then they brought in Big Sam. What, what, what was what was the feelings like when he was brought in? Were how did the players react to that appointment? I mean, Big Big Sam was an interesting one because obviously it was done over the summer. I think Kev Keane had the last few games as a caretaker. Um, which was obviously great for us young boys because we're thinking, oh, Kev, Kev might get the job here. He's had, had us as young players and reserve players and a coach. And everyone was thinking, oh, maybe, maybe they might give it to Kev, which would be great for us because we all like Kev. He's a good coach and a good person. And then mm. obviously Big Sam comes in and you hear some of the stories about him and you're not quite sure what he's going to be like. And I remember myself and... Uh, Tonks actually uh, Big Sam had a meeting with us throughout the summer obviously I guess he wanted to speak to us and see where our heads are and things like that but me and Tonks had actually been at Wimbledon the day before and we'd got pretty pissed so uh, you can imagine that, <laughs> <laughs> that first meeting was, uh, 
first meeting at nine o'clock the next morning was interesting. Um, <laughs> but he's he's such a character. Yeah, he's he's a real larger than life character. He he says exactly what he thinks. You know exactly where you stand with him. And I mean, within the first probably couple of weeks, I was really impressed with his ideas in terms of how he sort of broke the game down and, and what he expected from you, from you in your certain role and your position within the team. So I think the boys got behind him. His, his probably smartest move was bringing in Kevin Nolan because obviously Nobby had worked with him and had success with him before. And Nobby was kind of the driving force in the changing room. Do you know what I mean? Sort of backing up the ideas and saying, look, we'll be successful. Just sort of stick with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose it was kind of, getting through that, that first bit of pre-season and getting those first couple of games out, out of the way. I mean, losing at home first game. I think we lost to Cardiff, didn't we? Yeah. Um, didn't start that one. I was gutted. And then we played Donny away the following week, set the goal up. Nobby scored. And then we went and played Watford, I think, as a midweeker. And we battered them. 4-0. Mm. 4-0. I think Joe O'Brien scored. And then all of a sudden, yeah. we're thinking, right... Come on in, let's, let's sort of get behind it. Let's have a real good go here and we should be able to get promoted. You mentioned Kevin Nolan there. I mean, I think us fans know how important he was in that season. But from a player's perspective, how important was his signing for West Ham? <laughs> oh, Nobby was class. I mean, right from day one, he, he come in, he brought the boys together. Um, sort of off the pitch, he played a massive role pre-season in terms of just just little wins for the boys. I mean, getting us... Maybe extra extra time off if we needed. If if Big Sam was asking too much, Nobby would sort of go in and and sort of get us a bit bit back if we needed a couple of hours off in the afternoon. Do you know what I mean? Sort of really fighting for the players. Aren't they they probably planned it between them now and then too. Uh, <laughs> but but his his contribution off the pitch, you 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 can't you can't bring it into question. It was massive. I mean the way the way he built that team spirit is massively down to to Nobby. Um, a lot of the boys we brought in, he, he sort of had previous experience with. And the way he just got everyone together and sort of singing off the same hymn sheet was, was massive. And then, obviously, you can't doubt that contribution on the pitch. He scored key goals He he at big times as well, obviously, that season and then the following seasons to keep us in the Premier League. And not sure he always got the respect that he, that he deserved, I think. As players, we we knew what he was bringing to the table. We we knew at times he might not be as effective in the build-up or other parts, but we knew if we we got a chance and it was going to fall, we knew Nobby would stick in the back of the net. And that's sort of testament to him and and obviously why he'd done so well throughout his career. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was an amazing signing for us. I'm glad Mm. he's back at the club now as well. Um, Let's let's fast forward to the end of that season. Um, Two (laughs) goals against Cardiff in the away leg of the playoff semi-final. Talk to us about that game. What do you remember that feeling after it had happened? Yeah, it was class. <laughs> oh, you must have been buzzing. <laughs> oh, I mean, I loved it. We, we really enjoyed playing at Cardiff. Um, obviously, I'd played there quite a few times for Wales. Um, and I think we'd, we'd went there in the season and we won one one or two, two nil maybe. George McCartney might have scored a worldie a couple of days after we got back from Dubai. <laughs> so, <laughs> so sort of real, real good feelings of, of sort of playing at Cardiff. And we were just full of confidence. Obviously, we were disappointed that, that Reading had come from nowhere and sort of overtook us and got the automatic. But I think if you ask any of the fans now, the opportunity to, to have a day out at Wembley and the excitement of the playoffs, I think they'll bite your hand off. Yeah, 100%. Um, 
and obviously for me, having been through so much with a club, I mean, once again, towards the end of the season, I was hardly training, just sort of putting my body on the line and just wanted to be out there for the games and contribute and getting the chance to actually contribute with important goals at important times was massive. And I often say it was a nice way for me to sort of say a thank you back to the fans. I mean, obviously, there's nerves going into that first leg in that first game and the fact that we went ahead so early, I think, really settled the nerves. And then to get the second quite quickly after was great. And obviously, coming back to the bowling with a, a 2-0 lead, full of confidence, we, we knew we'd have enough to sort of get over the line and, and make it to the final. So, yeah, great experience. Probably my two most important goals for West Ham and, and probably two that I, I enjoyed the most. Mm-hmm. Well, you then went and played in that final where Vez Tully scored the winner. What was that experience like and what was the after party like? Because there must have been one, Jack. <laughs> do, do, do you know what? It's, it was actually a bit of an anti-climax, the after party. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll get to that. But, um, I mean, once again, I don't know if you remember, second leg against Cardiff, I actually went over on my shoulder um, and I, I popped my AC joint and I was touch and go whether I was going to be able to play in the final. Um I was jabbed up in my shoulder and jabbed up in my knee, I think, to actually get out on the pitch in the final. And it's it's really funny looking back now because they quite often show the game on Sky. And if you can catch a glimpse of me walking out, I can actually hardly walk from from that walkout at the start of the game. I'm, I'm limping on my knee and, and sort of moving my shoulder half-heartedly. So the fact that I got out of the pitch is an absolute miracle. Um, and just the, the game in itself was, it was kind of a bit of a blur and... Obviously, going ahead so early, we think, come on in, here we go, it's going to be a good day. And we come out second half and we were bloody useless. We just couldn't get going. And I think the goal was coming and coming and eventually they scored. And you just think, oh, come on, is it going to, it going to happen? And it's a bit nerve-wracking. And all of a sudden, the ball pops out. And of course, Baz Tay, absolutely massive for us that second half of the season and rifles it in and I actually think the feeling of the ball hitting the net on that goal was was probably better than me actually scoring myself. I think Baz ran off one way, took his shirt off, got his abs out, celebrated. And <laughs> for some reason, I've chucked a right and gone the complete opposite way, pulling my shorts out. I was going to say, couldn't... did you pull your shorts right? <laughs> I, just, I just couldn't control it. I didn't know what I was doing. And I think as it hit the net, it was just amazing. And it's funny looking back now because if it doesn't actually drop to Vaz, I think I'm next in line to try and get my foot around it and, and smash it in the net, which would have been interesting because I probably would have shanked it. But uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously, to get over the line and obviously the last the last minute or so, is I start thinking I'm a good player and going on a bit of amazing in the middle of the pitch and I cramp up in my calf and they steal the ball off me and they nearly go and score. I don't know if you remember, Winston Reid sort of shoulder barges someone and it's a bit iffy. Could it have been a, like a penalty? Didn't or... you try and rugby tackle him before that? Yeah, <laughs> I did. So I've hurt my shoulder as well. And I just remember Kevin Nolan must have been about half an inch away from me, just screaming in my face, what the <laughs> are you playing at? Get it out. <laughs> but it was, uh, I mean, the final whistle was just pure relief. Um and obviously to celebrate, to go up the steps and get the trophy. And I mean, it took its time for it to really settle in. But the stadium that day was just full of West Ham, wasn't it? There was hardly any Blackpool there. So it was great to obviously celebrate. But I mean, after that, I, I had a bit of a stinker because I was selected for drug testing. <laughs> so it was me, uh, Winston Reid. I think Kevin Phillips was in there for them. 
someone else and obviously we're sat there we're having a few beers having a chat about the game and really saying look I'll, I'll wait with you because he had gone quite quick and I said no I'll only be five minutes must have been an hour later I've missed all the celebrations in the changing room Reedy's given up and sort of left me on my own I'm, des- <laughs> I'm desperately Shanky. trying to pierce and I just can't do it and I was the last person to leave Wembley that day I think all my fa- I missed all the families up the top you couldn't leave the room so I didn't see any of my family or anything and I think the missus the team bus had to wait for me to get us out and the missus had to come on the team bus with me and then then we got we got back to Upton Park and there's meant to be a bit of a do and I just think everyone was just so so knackered and just the whole season had sort of taken its toll and all the pressure that had been on us and I think just the sheer relief had kind of set in that thank god we'd done it um and the next day, a lot of the boys had nobs as stag do as well. So uh, a lot of them were sort of resting up for the early flight. So it was a bit of an anti-climax. But I think over the summer, we, we kind of got together and celebrated. And I think everyone was really looking forward to the next season and obviously being back in the Premier League. Yes. So you talk about next season, obviously, again, it was a bit of a stop-start one for you. And then eventually, in 2004, you left the club. Um, for good. I mean, how, how difficult was that moment for you? Yeah, I mean, for me, as I said, towards the end of the season, it was similar again. I mean, I was having my knee drained quite a lot. Um, I was probably training once or twice a week and trying to plan the weekend. Um, just trying to trying to get through the games, really, to try and get us over the line. And obviously, I was quite an important part in the team and, and wanted to wanted to kind of play my part and, and do my bit and um, unfortunately them extra games sort of <laughs> put me back again and I was really struggling over the summer and I remember speaking to like the physios and and, uh, and they said it should settle over the summer so I kind of went away and sort of stayed off it and, and tried to give it a chance to heal and recover and I remember coming back pre-season obviously I'd been doing a bit of a program but it's not much and I come back the first couple of days and I was in bits I could hardly jog around the pitch um, and we kind of we didn't want to operate because I had so much work done before uh, so we tried an injection we tried strengthening and I think it got about two months into the season where we had to say look I've just got to have another operation and, and sort of hope for the best so I had a clean out um and obviously come back not too long after that. But by that time, I'd missed all the pre-season, missed all the early parts of the games, missed all the excitement of, of sort of coming up and playing such a big part the previous year. You, you kind of soon forgot about um, and struggled to get in the team, really. Really, really sort of struggled. And um, I think I went out on loan to Bournemouth. I had a month there, which I loved, um, getting to work with Eddie Howe and sort of that experience was was brilliant um and I probably I would have signed at Bournemouth but I actually come back and and got into the team at West Ham I think we had a cup game at Burnley where I scored and did well and played a couple of games and then yeah got in played a couple got out and got played the odd bit here and there and was just finding it really tough and I felt I'd got to a point where I just wanted to play and obviously Wigan were doing so well in the championship uh, I think they were second in the league, still in the FA Cup quarterfinals and had the opportunity just to go and play some games. And I think having been out injured for so long, um, missed so much football over the previous years, the opportunity to go and play was just just too much to sort of stay no and sort of stick and fight my place out. So I ended up going out to Wigan and... <laughs> 
a couple of games in, the same issues. Knee was blowing up, not playing very well. Uh, missed a penalty in the semi-final of the FA Cup to knock us out. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was tough. And, I mean, like, it got to the end of the season and, and West Ham had a two-year option on me, whether they wanted to keep me or, or sort of let me go. And, I mean, I was, dri- I was actually driving back from Wigan and Big Sam called me and I, I kind of knew the, the writing was on the wall. I, I felt like I knew what was coming because I wasn't the sort of person who'd speak to the manager often on the phone. Um, most of it was face-to-face and just said, look, we're not renewing your contract. Thanks for your efforts. Um, best of luck. <laughs> and that was kind of it. So it was kind of right. Shit, now I'm without a club. My knee's uh, really struggling. Um, sort of what I'm doing. Once again, it didn't really sink in. And I went away to that summer and had a couple of weeks. And I, uh, I remember I was in Florida and it finally hit me, right, shit, I'm without a club here. I need to get sorted. And it was while I was in Florida, I was actually at Nobbs' gaff out there. I uh, sat down and I wrote that letter to the fans. Just yeah. I yeah. felt I didn't get a chance, obviously, to say goodbye properly. Um, obviously, that letter was uh, a big part of me sort of closing the book. Uh, trying to get my thoughts and feelings out and obviously just say a big thank you to all the people who had sort of helped me so far along and been there for the journey because although in a relatively short time and not too many games I'd been through so much in terms of injuries losing my dad being in the team being out of the team relegation promotion it was just an absolute roller coaster so I mean for me it was really important to, to try and sign off in a positive way and and try and let a few people know what they meant to me and, and what it really meant to be a West Ham player. Absolutely, mate. And and on behalf of all West Ham fans, Jack, thank you for everything you've done for us. You know, oh, I don't realise, <laughs> um, you know, how highly thought of you are, because you are. Um, mate, calling it a day at what would have been at the age of 27, 28, is that right? On your career? Ooh, yeah, well, I mean, it was interesting because I, I left 2014. The following season, I went to QPR pre-season. Uh, with Harry, they just got promoted. He was great to me, but I couldn't move. I was I was shocking. Um, tried tried going down to Ipswich with Mick McCarthy once again. What an experience it was being down there with him for a few months. Unbelievable man, great manager. Really looked after me, but I just couldn't couldn't get fit and couldn't get going. So around Christmas time, I made the decision to sort of take the rest of the season to myself. Um, I went to Italy. I think I went to Belgium. I've, I was seeing the, I was seeing everyone and anyone who sort of was was known for sort of helping people with knees and just used the time and used my money to try and get in a place where I could get back playing. And it was the following summer when Peter come in and just said, "Look, there's an opportunity here. Come down, see how it goes. We'll try and get some games in Chen and sort of see where it goes from there." And I was itching to get back and. I think I needed to have one more go at, at trying to play. I think if I'd have immediately stopped after West Ham, once again, there might have been that sort of sickening what-if feeling. Mm. So I decided to give it a year, worked my nuts off, and I got to Peterborough, and sort of within two or three games, I, I knew I was I was done. I was <laughs> I was useless. I mean, I had the young'uns running rings around me. Um, and I think the real telling point for me, we had Graham Wesley in charge. And obviously he's known for his hard training methods and fit, fast, strong, powerful. And I, I obviously couldn't train that much. So it was tough for me to be in the team at Peterborough. And then um, <laughs> we're playing Coventry away, 2-0 up, cruising. Um, 
one of the lads comes off at half time, so Gaffer's like, Go on, Jack, you're going on. Lose the game three <laughs> two. I uh, I knew then I was done. I mean, I was sat in the change room after. Obviously, the manager's disappointed with the loss. He's come at me a bit, and I thought, you know what? I don't really need this. I know I'm not where I need to be. Uh, I'm not good enough. I, my body can't physically do it anymore. So it's probably time to step away. And and obviously, a club like Peterborough has done so much for me as a youngster give some of these younger players a chance to sort of come in and, and make a name for themselves. And it was great to see young Leonardo da Silva Lopez come in and sort of play 25, 30 games that year where I might have sort of stopped his opportunity. And I'm thankful for Peterborough because one day I was in the change room as a player. Next day they chucked me in front of the under 18s and said, go on in, go and coach them boys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. Um, so you returned to the club as a youth coach, um, uh, West Ham. Obviously, how did how did that go? What 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 players does he sort of tip to come through that haven't quite made it yet? <laughs> it's actually a really exciting time um, for me personally, being on the other side of the world, because a lot of these sort of young players are coming to work with the under 14s and the under 16s, um, and then obviously jumped up to work with the under 18s. Um, so a lot of these players are sort of on the cusp and, and sort of desperate to try and make their way through. And obviously for me, seeing Jeremy and Gakia getting his opportunity and doing so well was just unbelievable. Obviously playing in my youth team just last season and, and now to see him out there against the likes of Liverpool and Man City, just it's just incredible. And Are you surprised, think, Jack, to see how well Jeremy's done? It's, it's, do you know what? It's an, it's an interesting one because there is these boys are so talented. I mean, I look back when I was a youth team player and they're miles ahead of where myself and, and the likes of Tomkins and Stanislas and people like that. But the thing that's probably stunting them, I mean, when I was 16, 17, myself and Tonks were training with the first team every day. We were, we were out there with the likes of Rhea Coca, Anton, Teddy, Nobes. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. some of these boys, 16, 17, they're probably good enough and ready to sort of train with the first team and things like that. But they've got 20, 23 under-18s with them. They've got 20, 23 under-23s ahead of them. First team squad's probably 25 players nowadays. It's just sometimes hard to get that opportunity to get yourself in the window and, and give yourself long enough. And I think if you find a manager who really believes in the youth and will give them a chance, I think some of these youth boys will really surprise them because quite often with the youth players, you get players, one, who have no fear because they haven't been out there, they haven't failed. And two, you get a manager who given a young player an opportunity in the Premier League, they will run for a brick wall for you. So for me, it's not the worst, the worst way to go. And I mean, Jezza, bless him, <laughs> chucked in at the deep end when he Liverpool and City. <laughs> but his, his actual biggest attribute is his attacking game. And we haven't really seen him in a game too much yet where he's been let loose and able to really have an effect in the final third because he's exciting. He's got tricks, he's got in product, he's got goals in him. So it'd be great if he can get a bit of run, a bit of confidence and keep working on his defending, but get an opportunity to showcase how good he is going forward. Yeah, interesting. So moving forward, you're now working at Atlanta. I mean, how did yeah. that come about? How's that going? And what are your future plans? <laughs> yeah, really interesting one. I mean, I always had it. It was always a goal of mine to sort of come out and experience America. I was close to doing it as a player um, in that year I took off, but it never come off. And 
I just think the opportunity come up and I mean I've been through so much with West Ham as a as a player as a youth player and obviously getting the opportunity to work there as a coach I just felt I was in a stage of my career where I didn't want to be comfortable Mm. Um, I needed to to sort of step out of my comfort zone and just go and experience something completely different Um, just just for my own my own journey and to obviously make sure I'm improving and, and seeing obviously different styles different types of football um but i mean long term i'm 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 kind of thinking in the back of my head the door at west ham will never be fully closed <laughs> i don't think <laughs> i don't mm-hmm. think that story's quite done yet it'd be nice to return one day as a coach and and obviously as a manager hopefully working with the first team but i mean for me at the moment i'm i'm on a journey i don't want to be one of these guys who just thinks just because i played at a good level that i can coach um, I'm trying to get my hours in on the grass and trying to learn learn as much as I can and just the opportunity to come to Atlanta and experience something different. The club is is incredible. It's it's massive out here. The stadium's wonderful. The facilities are great and um, just to get a, a different experience and a, a unique opportunity was was just too good and sort of come at the right time for me to try something different. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a drama coach to be an IT guy. Yeah, I'm having trouble logging in. I'm not buying it. Say it again. This time with feeling. I can't log in? Come on, man. I want to feel your struggle. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Now, like your life depends on it. I can't log in. Yes, we'll make an actor out of you yet. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. Yeah, good luck to you, mate. Good luck to you. So we've we've had a load of questions coming in from followers that listen to this show. Um, I'm going to ask the first one, the next will ask them, and we'll continue to alternate. I've just taken a handful for you. Some really good questions here. This one's from at Stephen McCarthy 9. With your academy, what do you think are the biggest challenges facing players and young talent today? We see the likes of Ravel and Oxford not fulfilling their potentials. Is it a breakdown in old traditions of boot boys or simply the amount of money they earn so early on? It's so, it's so difficult to, I mean, as academy coaches, we're asking ourselves the question. I mean, West Ham's a really good example because I think if you, if, if you want to compete, you need the best facilities, but you also want to keep the boys grounded. And it's, it's trying to find that balance. I mean, you, you go to Tottenham's training ground now. If we're competing for a, a 12, 13-year-old, you've got Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea, West Ham. Obviously, Tottenham are shown in this big training ground. Chelsea have got 105 pitches. And obviously, at the time at West Ham, it was come and have a look at Chadwell Heath. And I mean, yeah. the history is incredible and, and everything that goes with it. But to compete, you kind of need the facilities to back it up. So, obviously, the... The redevelopment there has been incredible for the club. And now in terms of offering the facilities and, and things like that, I think they can compete. And then it's just, as a coach, finding that balance. Yes, you want to give all these boys as much as you possibly can. You want to give them everything they can. But at the same time, you, you can't be giving them too much because they get lazy, they take the piss and they end up falling behind. And it's just it's just impossible. I mean, it's, it's vicious, the, the youth recruitment out there and in terms of trying to attract the best players. It's, it's not often the boys' faults. And sometimes the, the, the boys find out a little bit too late what it's really like. I mean, the amount of lads on really good money playing under 23 football and then all of a sudden they have to try and carve a career in League One or League Two where the money's 
a quarter of what they were on. The facilities aren't as good. Is a is a real eye opener. So it's a it's a tough one to answer. I don't know if I've really answered it. I suppose it's just trying to be really honest with them. Uh, I think the fact that I've been through it myself gives me a, an edge on some people, and I think it's really good to lean on others who have been there and done it. And I mean, Declan Rice is probably the best example you can use. Not only is he a talent player, he's a fantastic person. And even now, you still see him going back to Chabwalif and taking time to speak to the young boys. He's always tidying up the gear after training. He, he's respectful. Do you know what I mean? And that's a real good example for these young boys to see. Just because you're doing well, just because you've got a bit of money, you've still got to be a good person and you've got to continue to work hard. Spot on. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, this is from at Ovo underscore Forbes. He said, um, how crucial was Ricardo Vazte's the promotion in 2012? Yeah, Vaz was class. I mean, uh, he'd scored all the goals. I think we got him from Barnsley, didn't we? He was already on yeah. double figures before he'd come to us. And mm. Score of great uh, goals as well, wasn't it? Oh, <laughs> he did some mad stuff. I mean, Big Sam obviously knew about him before and... I remember Kevin Nolan saying, wait till you see what Vaz is like. And he'd come in and he's quite an interesting character. He's, he's very different. He's, uh, he's not your sort of stereotypical footballer. He's, he's sort of, how do you explain? He, he kind of keeps himself to himself a little bit. He's, he's got, I suppose, some eccentric ways, but you get him on the pitch and he was incredible. I think he scored 12 goals, didn't he? between yeah. January and the end of the season he scored a hat-trick in one game he scored an overhead kick and obviously mm. the biggest one was his was his winner at Wembley and I think the fans would always have a special place in their heart for Vaz Day because of that yeah definitely yeah for sure this one's coming from at Crumpy 401 what influence was Zola on Jack he seemed to really flourish as did Colton so did Zola do loads of one-to-one stuff with you uh, and what did he teach you? You suddenly then look so comfortable on the ball. Yeah, I thought, well, I think we spoke about that. But yeah, the, the extra sessions afterwards, it was, often it was only 20, 30 minutes, but very specific to you and your game. So, for example, with me, I'd be hitting longer passes. He, he said I was really good in tight areas, but quite often couldn't see the longer pass. Um, so little games with bibs and goals and things like that. With Coley, he was great in and around the box, different types of finishing. And obviously, the best thing about him in and around the box, he was an absolute genius. So he'd be saying, no, Coley, you got to do it like this, do it like this, smaller step, do you know what I mean? And, and just showing the boys how it's actually done. And I think having someone who sort of cares in your own personal development, as well as the team developing and wanting to do well, was, was obviously massive. And I think everyone respected him, one, because of what he had done, and two, because he was just a fantastic human being. Mm. No, this is quite a tricky question. This one, a good question from Hammerlock15. Um, <laughs> there he we said, go. Yeah, he said, well, he started it by saying perhaps a hard question, and he said it's not intended that way at all. But how different did you feel after the 2009 injury? Did it force you to adapt your playing style and have to play differently? And he's also asked, do you feel that you were rushed back and perhaps not given the best medical advice when you're at the club? Yeah, really, really good question. I mean, it's it's a it's a difficult one. We could probably have another couple of hours on on the injury and <laughs> how it was dealt with, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I mean, for for me, the, as I said, the disappointing thing was after that large injury at Wigan, the the initial dislocation. I was never ever the same again, and never felt free and 
sort of able to do my brain would tell me one thing and my body just couldn't do it and I mean I, I still got a few games out of me after that and I think my most successful season in terms of goal was was the year in the championship which was a couple of years after that but it was always a losing battle a sort of uphill battle and I think the hard thing for anyone is to sort of tell a young player that you're not invincible and maybe you need to take more time and I suppose the difficult thing as well when the club's fighting relegation um I mean that second season under Zola we were right in the relegation battle when I had to sort of step away from it and whether people have my best interests at heart or not obviously I I don't know there's there's probably people with different agendas wanting to get players on the pitch making players available and and certainly them last few games before I had the big operation were were very telling in, in terms of how much I got out of my knee afterwards which is disappointing but something I look back on now is, is obviously an experience and, and something me as a coach I would never want to do to any sort of young player myself mm-hmm. This is from at Gary Hewitt 82 who is one player who came through the academy with you that you thought was going to make it but didn't <laughs> Great question I suppose it was interesting. I saw a uh, Hogan Ephraim. It was his birthday yesterday. Yeah. Now this kid, when I when I signed at, at West Ham, he was incredible. You'd pay money to watch him in training. He really? was just oh, he was sensational. And I mean, I think I played my first game with him away uh, to Hornchurch. The spotty sixteen-year-old and Hogan was playing, and he was just mesmerising. Some of the stuff he was doing with the ball, young in England international and. As I said, that season, he was a year older than me, but he was head and shoulders. And I remember playing in a reserve game against Arsenal at Upton Park. And it was honestly one of the best performances I've ever seen. Just the way he used to take people on, take the ball, play with that swagger. And some of the stuff he would do was just out of this world. And I always thought Hogan wouldn't just go on to sort of play in the first team. I thought he'd go on to to sort of really crack it and, and be a real big name in world football. And really? Yeah, he was that. He was head and shoulders above anyone else in that youth team. And, um, I mean, look, he's, he's still got a career. He's still, still played professional games and, and scored goals. But for me, he was certainly one that I thought was going to be a little bit special. That's interesting, that. And I think, you know, because he did have a, you know, played for, like you said, he played for QPR, but he didn't really do much really in the grand scheme of things so to hear that he was that good it's like it's you know it's another kind of Ravel Morrison type story do you think why why was it that they didn't quite use the talent yeah it's, um, it's so it's so interesting I mean so many talented players and I think a lot of it is luck as well you need to yeah. be in the right place at the right time and performing well at the right time I mean when you look at Grady Grady got into a training session because someone went down injured and obviously yeah. he got he's got his chance and done well and it's it's been good to see him go and get league games. Um, mm. But yeah, you you go through so much as a young player and so many setbacks and being close to the team one week. I mean, Jezo might start one week, not even be in the squad another week, and mentally having to deal with that and and being able to sort of keep training well and keep fighting hard and being ready to take your chance next time it comes is. It's difficult, but it's during them periods that you learn a lot about yourself and you see what players are really made of. I mean, once again, Deck's probably a great example, isn't he? That that first game of the season, was it the year before at Liverpool where we got spanked and he got dragged at half-time and then didn't play for a couple, I think, and then he, he come in and he's been an ever-present ever since. So 
that's mm. what these young players have sort of got to do. Yeah, definitely. It's all about sort of attitude as well as ability, isn't it? Um, yes. So this is um, from a, an American that Dave and I had the privilege to <laughs> spend uh, time with in Las Vegas. Um, and he's, uh, yeah, he's asked, uh, <laughs> so he's at jcarson underscore 1755. And he said, um, now that you're working with young MLS talent, do you see a big difference between the football here in the States and in the UK? Yeah, do you know what it's been? It's been real interesting learning curve for me. I mean, the um, I've been really impressed um, with the standard of players. It's it's a lot higher than I I thought it was going to be. There's some real top top talented players out here, and I'd say probably the the most interesting thing, the big difference is probably the the players' mentality to really want to win out here. I think in England, there's a real sort of individual approach. There's some real outstanding individuals. Uh, whereas over in America, I've been really impressed with sort of the team set up, the way tactically they're, they're set up, the, the willingness to sort of really try and win games and, and work hard as a team. And probably another difference is a lot of the players that I'm sort of coaching now, probably 50% want to go down the the sort of pro route and, and get a professional contract and make a career as a player and probably the other 50% are looking to to get a scholarship at a top D1 school and so they get the education and the football at the same time so sort of coming away from dealing with everyone who's so focused on the football the, the kids out here certainly have a heavy emphasis on education as well mm. This is from at Ben 10 Dio As a former player what would Jack's point of view be about how to conclude this season. What does he think <laughs> that the players would want? Oh, that is a tough question. Do you know do you know what I was thinking a little bit about this? I I honestly think if I was one of these one of the boys in the change room now, I'd want to get the season finished because yes, it's it's a it's a tricky position where we're at, but look, they'll want to get over the line and, and show that they were good enough to stay in the Premier League outright. I mean, the games we've got left are obviously winnable games. Burnley, Norwich, Watford, haven't we? Aston Villa last game. And the, the boys just seemed like they were sort of coming together with, with some good performances at Liverpool. I mean, Fabianski's been incredible since he's signed. That's so uncharacteristic of him, isn't it? Mm. Big win at Southampton. Playing better than Arsenal probably should have come away with something. So I think they're in a good run of form. And for me, I'd think they'd want to get over the line and sort of show everyone that they've that they've got enough to stay up. But at the same time, I suppose if someone's going to say, right, let's reset, let's start from fresh, you, you never know. So I, I don't know the answer. I'd like to think there is some football play between now and the end of the season, though. Mm. Well, we all miss it, that's for sure. Um, I've yeah. started watching my fish knocking around um, their, their, their fish food for a bit of uh, similarities to football. But, um, Not yeah, available so... to play for West Ham, are they? <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I'm going to demand a big contract for them. Yeah, so not wrong. Um, at um, at Triggerman069, um, what, what was your favourite game that you ever played in, in a top-level match? Oh... I mean, I played in some some real good ones that I I really enjoyed. I mean, scoring my first goal was was a great feeling, even though we lost the game. Um, obviously that that Millwall game that we spoke of earlier that is a a game that will live in my memory forever. Um, and despite the the sort of the the issues sort of surrounding the game, that was a, a real special game. But 
I suppose probably the big one has to be the playoff final with what was on the line, um, all the pressure that season. And obviously playing in front of so many West Ham fans at Wembley, that was a real, real special day and sort of one that will also live long in the memory. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, this is from at Gavin Fowler. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you see safe standing improving match day atmosphere. Could you ever see them converting some or all of the scaffoldings here? Obviously, he's talking about the London Stadium. Uh, could it ever become an intimidating stadium for visiting teams? Oh, that'd be class, wouldn't it? Safe standing. I'm, I'm oh, I for so. safe standing. I think yeah. it'd be brilliant. I mean, most of the fans probably want to stand for a lot of the game anyway. And I suppose the biggest thing is making it safe, <laughs> as in the name. And I suppose making sure it's in the right areas because obviously a lot of people want to stand, some people want to sit and, and just making sure everyone's happy with it. But for me, I, I think safe standing would give the stadium a real boost and sort of really help improve the atmosphere because it is sometimes a little bit dull over there. I mean, being over there working last season, I'd find myself at times if the game wasn't great, I'd, I'd be sat on my phone or something, which isn't how it should be. So I think safe standing will give it a real boost and sort of help take the stadium towards where it needs to be. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, final question here, and it's from uh, Las Vegas. West Ham's the man that we can attribute the event to last year, so top man. Um, he has said, um, who was the best player that you ever played against? Whoa, good one. There's there's a couple. I mean, I, I was lucky. I, my second ever game for Wales, we played against Holland in Holland just before they played in the Euros, and I got to play against Wesley Snyder, and that was... Mm-hmm. Uh, that was an experience in itself. I mean, he gave me the absolute <laughs> runaround. Um, <laughs> but, but Frank Lampard was a real interesting one because, I mean, one of my heroes growing up and obviously a, a large portion of the West Ham fans uh, feel a certain way towards him and would always let him know. And you could tell Lampard was always extra motivated for the West Ham games and he always ended up bloody scoring against us in, <laughs> yeah. in the games I've played. And, just for, just for me, being a midfielder and, and actually seeing his movement and his cleverness and the way he'd play quick sometimes and slow it down other times was, was just incredible and really eye-opening. So probably Frank Lampard was one of the, the toughest opponents I played against. Fair enough. Jake, it's been a pleasure talking to you, mate. Um, no, thanks, thanks for, for having us on. on. <laughs> no, mate, thank you. Uh, and good luck, of, of course, with the rest of your career. And um, more importantly, keep yourself and your family safe during these crazy times. And uh, we yes. hope to see yourself soon. No, thanks for having me, fellas. I'm hoping to get back for a game over the summer, so probably early next season. So I'll give you a shout. Good man. Top man. <laughs> Top man. Appreciate, thanks, appreciate you having me on. Take care. Brilliant. Thank you, mate. All the best, Take pal. Care. Right, that is the end of the show. As always, thank you for listening and giving us your questions. And a big thank you to Jack Collison for coming on. Keep safe, look after yourselves, and until next week, come on, you irons. Come on, you irons. Other banks go out of their way to make redeeming credit card rewards needlessly complicated, like how they require minimums or force you to use your rewards before reaching some arbitrary expiration date. But Discover isn't like that. With Discover, you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount at any time so you'll never have to jump through hoops unless you're like a trapezist then by all means go right ahead learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards terms apply when you love riding a motorcycle you want to ride it everywhere even getting a dental checkup 
Mr. Carter, wouldn't you prefer the chair? I'm fine on my bike, Doc. Well, let me know if you feel any discomfort. And when you love saving money, you want to save even more. That's why GEICO makes it easy to bundle your motorcycle and car insurance. All done, Mr. Carter. Remember to brush, floss, and lubricate your drive chain regularly. Kickstart your savings with GEICO Motorcycle. Bundle and save on the things you love. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.